By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and we're here this morning with a very special guest and friend, Noah Zachran. Noah is a widely acclaimed guitar master, multi-genre songwriter, and dynamic performer. He's released somewhere in the range of eight albums, and he'll talk about that a bit. He's getting ready for another one. Please welcome to Behind the Drive Shortcuts, Noah Zachran. Well, so let me start by uh, thanking you very much for uh, joining us here. And I, I wanted to ask you, first of all, about your recording work to date because as i understand it there's nine albums out there but uh did did you start when did you actually start recording was that uh later in your career or um were you <laughs> the um because the the oldest one i could find is 82 yeah um, what's that the oldest work i can find is 82 uh yeah yeah so that the ninth record, by the way, is in utero. It's not. It hasn't yet been oh, oh, okay. been delivered. Okay. Um, I, I began it uh, almost a little over a year ago, and and then through the move and all, uh, it got put on hold. But I'm hoping to get that started early in the new year and get that ninth record yeah. out. Um, yeah, the first record I made was in 1982, and it was in. Um, I'd already been playing for a fair number of years, but it wasn't all that common. Home recording wasn't really right. a thing, and and making a record was, you know, there were only one or two manufacturers, and it was it was a serious endeavor. And I hadn't even thought about it until I, I someone came up to me after I played guitar for somebody else and asked me if I had a record, and I said no, I don't, but that's a good idea. And then I started making that record. It was on a sixteen-track, one-inch. Uh, reel to reel in someone's basement, yeah, and um, yeah. So that was that's the first one. I, I I had a couple of tries at making records before that. I have a recording that I made at home okay. of twelve or thirteen songs that I wrote by the time I was seventeen years old. And one day I'll release that as the basement tapes. Yeah. Um, I started another record in Vermont, but that I never finished that one. So. The one in '82 was the first record that okay. I actually finished. Because I, I'm gathering you were playing quite a bit longer before that. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, I started playing probably, uh, well, how? Yeah, and just 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 after Expo '67. <laughs> wow, wow. And <laughs> can you can you share a little bit about that? How did your how did your path go? Like, how did you develop as a? Did you start solely as a guitarist or as a as a songwriter and a guitarist, or was there um, kind of a? I mean, like really all the way back till the age, till till that till that young age when I started. Or I mean, I, I started playing guitar, and really, I just I've been playing other instruments. You know, like all kids, I took I took Hi Baby Cat. Yeah, it's my cat. Sure. Uh, I took piano lessons, I suppose. But I don't remember much of it. I just remember uh, my entire world being changed the, the, the moment I saw uh, one of my camp counselors at day camp in the summer of '67. Hi. Um, uh, playing ukulele. Right. I remember her as being the statuesque blonde, and she was probably like just a seventeen-year-old kid playing ukulele. But I came home from from it was a day camp, and I came home and I asked my parents for a guitar. Right. 
Um, and by the time I turned 10, I had my first guitar and I, I learned chords and scales. Um, I started writing my own songs when I was probably 13, 14. Um, but I primarily wanted to be a guitar player. My, my first big influence was John Fahey. Right. Just liked instrumentals that yeah. went everywhere and nowhere um, at the same time. And, um, and then I started writing songs just to express things that I felt usually about, you know, my classmates, my high school classmates who were girls that I had crushes on. For sure. And, um, and I got coerced into playing for people mostly just because that people asked me if I, if I sang and it was never really my interest. I, it, it's all, it's all grown organically, but my first an enduring love is just to play guitar, um, you know, just sit down and start playing and then work on something and, and just let it go out to the air and right. stop playing yeah. after an hour and now, carry on. Now, you seem to have a great reverence for blues musicians and blues music. Um, although, was that was that always there or did that sort of yeah. come? Yeah. Do you, do you recall what yeah, it, it was? It was pretty quick. Yeah, do you recall what it was that caught your attention there and wanted you to to uh, capture that a bit? The um, the, the the first uh, I think Mississippi John Hurt was my first. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Um, I uh, my parents had a had a record of of um, called American Folk Singers and Balladeers, mm-hmm. and it was a four record set from the Vanguard Record of the Month Club, and um, I fell in love with him. He was probably the first one that I saw. And that was probably, I might have been, you know, even before I was 10, I was listening to those songs, or maybe around that age. And, and were you trying to replicate um, that style or trying to capture what he no, was? No. Because not really. So not, not consciously. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and there's so many subtleties to his playing in any yeah. event that I would. I still would be unsuccessful. You know, I yeah. think he plays just one one finger or something. Yeah. Um, you know, and I saw. I loved the music, and 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 he was he was the first person that I heard, and um, and then I started taking records out of it was called the Record Lending Library, in Montreal, mm-hmm. and one of my first shows ever, I saw John Lee Hooker. Uh, I was probably fourteen. Yeah. Or fifteen, I was in high school, and and Esquire Show Bar, which was a very famous music venue in Montreal, um, didn't at that time didn't have a liquor license. I was either for over capacity or serving minors, so they took away their license, and so a bunch of us guys from high school went, and I sat, you know, within fifteen feet of him. Really, uh, he was still a young man. He played a solo set, and then he played a set with his band yeah. and it was extraordinarily moving and when i had a high school reunion many years later i met one of the guys that went out and the first thing he asked me was do you remember when we went to see john lee hooker <laughs> so so yeah. the music you know the music affects people and it affected me very very deeply yeah. and I loved reverend gary davis sure and you know so yeah. now did you ever get to i don't know why but it, but it went deep you know yeah and, and i just yeah, and uh, it, you know the thing in your playing—it's—it's it's not overly evident that it's there. I mean, it's there. You can, and you talk about it somewhat, and you've recorded some of those songs, but uh, you know, it—it it doesn't come out in 
But the, of course, G- Gary Davis, he was, almost, I don't know how the heck he played, right? Like he was, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, it's what he, yeah it's, uh, I mean, I've yeah. tried to, in my own, I'm not, of course, anywhere near advanced as any of these guys. I, mean, I could never figure out at all what they were doing. Did yeah. you, were you trying to learn this by ear or were you getting charts or something to well, kind of figure it out? Or I, I no, I wasn't trying to, I mean, honestly, I wasn't trying to figure anything out. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah. I never felt like there was any reason to, um, you know, to imitate. Okay. Sure. Uh, I never really tried. You know, I, I play, I cover one or two of Mississippi Don Hurt's tunes, and but I don't do them anywhere like him. I don't really work that hard to, um, you know, to duplicate what he's, what sure. he does, yeah. did. Um and with Reverend Gary Davis, I, a, a buddy of mine, when I was 15 years old, tried to, started teaching me, um, um, I, I think it's Buck Dance. Um, oh, you know, and I know yeah. the beginning of it, and yeah. it, you know, there's some chords now that I use on, uh, every, every week, yeah. you know, a particular fingering of a, of a dominant seventh chord. Yeah. But I would never try to duplicate. I know there are, there, like, the Stefan Grossman has made a, you know, a life, out of that, right? And, that's right, and, um, yeah. and it's really remarkable to be able to replicate that stuff. I've seen. I have a videotape, an old videotape of uh, Reverend Gary Davis. It's impossible, <laughs> and it's just magical to watch him. Yeah, and, and, and to listen. To him. Yeah, I yeah. I just astounded when I when I play. You know, because I have the little blues show here that I do, and everyone's when I play right. his material, I just go, I can't unbelieve it. And then the. Um, the the other thing that I always found so remarkable was these yips and hoots and hollers they would do when they were yeah. playing, <laughs> like they, almost as if they were uh, Muddy Waters in particular too. He would do that in his early career, and it was almost like they were something was rising in, in excitement out of the wall. Yeah, so, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I'm. I'd say there's a you know a modicum of position going on. Yeah, when you're playing with that much depth and abandon and right and, and i think i mean reverend gary Davis was a preacher as well so he would have had some you know some conduit yeah already yeah you know to to higher powers higher forces and yeah you know wherever it comes out it comes sure. out yeah i i i had uh, an interview with somebody or just a conversation with somebody who knew him and uh he played apparently quite a bit in vancouver and he, he would do gigs for like for 12 bucks a night or something right you wonder how he even kept body and soul together. Uh, it's such a tough road for those guys. The next thing I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about guitar is that you're, you know, you, some would consider you a master guitarist, uh, and your your style is quite uh, quite powerful and inspiring in many ways. But you seem to mix a couple of styles, like to my ear anyway. You you seem to have a finger picking. Uh, approach, but also you have this beautiful pick technique because you're using that thumb pick in a way. Um, did no. did you study any way to perfect that, or to or did somebody kind of inspire that approach, or that was it just as um, you said organic? You know, I I don't always use a thumb pick. Yeah. Depends on which tune. Yeah. Um, so I guess the answer, I mean, the short answer to the question is I don't know. Right. Okay. Um, I don't, I'd had no, I mean, I've had many influences and many, many people, I mean, I've watched many people and I've been inspired and, and, and educated by, by all kinds of players. But there again, I've never really, 
I didn't want to emulate anybody. And and the less obvious my influences are to people who are listening to what I do, the, the better I think I've done my job. Right. Which is you know, to play what I play and the way that I play it. But certainly I've been influenced by many people. So, um, you know, if a song calls for, like I play Can't Wake Up, for instance, is a tune that I would not play without a thumb pick anymore. Because okay. right. um, there's a, like, there's a percu- particular percussive aspect to it, particularly on the opening, that I get only with the thumb pick. Right. You know, so, so I'll use it. And, and then there's other times when it's, it's, I know I'll be able to articulate what I have to do with my thumb better if it's just my thumb or my thumbnail. Right, yeah. And it's all song-by-song basis. Okay. Um, you know, something dr- really driving uh, thumb pick makes a, makes a difference. Yeah. You know, because it really brings out the, the, the bass note yeah. aspect of it. Well, but, plus, um, yeah. yeah, it makes your, your bass side uh, come out a little stronger. You are listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and our very special guest this morning is Noah Zacharin in conversation about his many recorded albums. And he's a wonderful, wonderful songwriter. I hope you'll go check his webpage out. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. You're listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts, and our guest this morning is Noah Zacharin in conversation. Yeah, you, yeah. I think I've even noticed you cross pick, I think, or what would you call that? I guess, well, anyway, I don't, I don't know the terminology. But flat pick. Yeah, almost, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I don't, um, I, I'm not so adept at cross picking, but I, yeah, you know, I'll yeah. play, when I'm, depending on who I'm, if I'm playing with somebody, yeah. and if I need a little bit more attack and a little more volume, I'll use a I'll use a flat pick. If I'm playing electric guitar, I rarely play with a flat pick. Yeah. Uh, you know, but and there's some tunes that just lend themselves to strumming and sure. like bluegrass things and country songs sometimes. And so it's all really based on, you know, I I don't think I I, I never wanted to be limited by the by the, the um you know what my tool is. Right. So I try yeah. to incorporate, be able to use both thumb pick and flat pick and just bare fingers and just make a decision on a song-by-song basis. Yeah. Well, I mean, having stood in audiences and watched you play, it's it's pretty exciting to see you to oh, do all of you. this. It's it's actually very, uh, it's very moving and in many ways. Um, oh, the the one thing I wanted to... No explore, violin bow yet. <laughs> what's that? No violin bow. No. <laughs> no violin. No, yeah. no, no, no violin bow. Yeah, yeah, right. Um the uh, the other aspect of your art is the fact that you seem to spend a lot of time on, or it seems that you put a lot of uh, thought and effort into your lyrics and and your poetry. And I was wondering if there was some major influence there that kind of, um, and, you know, kind of guided you along on that side of the things. Like, did you have any kind of hero poets that you were following that you were thinking oh man i should try to get that yeah um, i mean there were yeah i mean there were there were poets and there were also songwriters whose whose uh you know level of lyric seemed seemed i was a bit of a snob when i was a kid okay you know so so i wanted it to be sophisticated and 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 i you know when i was younger i i mistook complexity for 
importance. So, so that's why, I mean, I only started playing with a flat pick many years into my, into when I, into when I, after I'd started playing, cause I felt if it could be more complicated and played with lots of fingers, then it must be better. <laughs> and, and I was wrong, but, yeah. but, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I've been ed- I've, I've educated I've been educated <laughs> so the same thing with lyrics but yeah. but in terms of lyrics like I, I feel if you're going to use words you should use the right word to express what it is that you're actually trying to express make a little bit of an effort to figure out what that is um, avoid cliches um, try to amuse or entertain yourself with you know some unlikely rhyme which will inevitably lead to a more interesting line leading to that yeah that unlikely rhyme and so I, partially it's to amuse myself but but i really do feel like like precision is, is important without you know without sacrificing the soul of the of the song right so i'm careful i'm careful with my words i i, I never listened to a lot of pop music when i was growing yeah. up so um i i've come to appreciate greater simplicity well like and the emotive impact it has but yeah you know i guess yeah and i i I suspect there's the you know we're all striving for clarity somehow in that communication but you know the thing i i'm quite a fan of thoughtful lyric writing because uh, i find so many songwriters especially younger songwriters don't even really think too much you know they get a couple of lines and then they just keep repeating that so it's, yeah, baby, uh, baby. Yeah, <laughs> baby. Yeah, well, even summers are more simple. Um, now, you, over the course of your recording career, it seems that most of your work has been self-produced or co-produced. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true, but have you ever used a producer as such, or do you? Uh, not as such. Yeah. Uh, I'm The record that I'm working on now which I'm trying to kickstart. I think I think we'll start again in January, February. Mm-hmm. I think January. I would hope. I'm working with somebody else, um, and it's it, you know it's. I've had a lot of bad habits in, in my life, and and um, I, I believe that I've paid the price. And one of the bad habits I had was sort of being resistant to the idea of um, deferring to somebody else's okay. opinion. Yeah. Um, so in the case of music, I, I just avoided that by doing it myself or with my friends, um, but still maintaining, you know, a majority creative control. Sure. Um, I think it would have been more fun to experiment a little bit through, through the, you know, through the discography, but, but your, you know, your observation is accurate. Um, some of them have been live records, yeah. and, and and I mean, and some of them have been like even even the whole notion of who's a producer is kind of um, it's not entirely uh, accurate. You know, yeah. I made a, a live record in in, um, in the late '90s, and Jeff Walpert was engineering it, and he made a tremendous number of creative decisions as an engineer, but you know, he was instrumental in getting the the sound of the record and right. it's it's to my ears it's a great sounding live record and it has so much to do with his work so it, it's hard it would be hard for me to say that i produced that record right um you know and waiting on your love same thing i i'm nominally the producer but 
the engineers that I worked with, David Travers Smith and Jeremy Darby, they're tremendous, tremendous uh, musical talents. They have great ears and their contributions, you know, and when I made, my, I made the record with Douglas, uh, a strange writer, I mean, we share, I, th I think we share production credits because, you know, we talked about everything and we, we worked it all through together. You know, so. Yeah, so you haven't like surrendered, like, you know, you know, there's stories of songwriters who just come in, you know, do the bass track and walk away, you know, and come back and uh, some guy's given, gives them the record. That, um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, part of me that would love to do that with this yeah, record because yeah. I know how much work's involved. Yeah. You know, Waiting on Your Love, uh, I, I can't even begin to imagine how many hundreds of hours yeah. I worked. And I... And I was there right to the end, like into the mastering, mastered it twice. Right. You know, I was I was really deeply involved right. in the whole thing, and and um, yeah, it was fun, yeah. but it was a real. It's a lot. I don't. Work. I could not yeah. do that now. Yeah. Even if I lived in Toronto, I don't think I could yeah. give it that much time. Did, did you? Um, so. Did, did you have to study anything to kind of get your head wrapped around, or did you just know what you wanted to hear? And because. Um, Sometimes just even mic placement and things like that is so tricky, you know, getting the sound you want. And, you know, there's... That. Yeah, that stuff I didn't have anything you to do didn't, with. I had, yeah. No, I mean, so, so like in the live record, Jeff set up the microphones right. and, yeah. and, you know, Waiting on Your Love, I worked with, I worked with Canterbury Sound and, and yeah. mostly and, and, you know, and Jeremy knows, Jeremy knows a thing or two about right. microphones. Yeah. So. so let's, let's delve a little bit into your, your album work because it the thing that is quite remarkable about it is it covers such a broad range of styles and uh i don't think you could easily say that any one of them is a replication of the other they all have something quite their own and uh and i was wondering if you if if that's intentional or is that just the way you find is that the way the songs have come or and then I'd like to talk to you about specific albums, if possible. But just to, in an overview, is it just the way the songs have come to you that you, that you've sort of recorded yeah, I mean, them? This first way? of all, I want to thank you for for noticing, because oh. <laughs> it's I mean it's significant to me. You know, I, I, I it's it wasn't um, I didn't force that to happen, but you know some of it just happened because of you know how I felt or what I was working on or. You know how my life was going. Some by the songs. Um, I never want to replicate a record, and there's no real reason to. It's behind the drive shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and you've been listening to Noah Zachary. <laughs> 